there's so much lostness in our lives. There's so much the feeling of hopelessness and helplessness in our lives. The answer to that is Christ. I was born in Malaysia in 1927. My family were elderly people. It was my duty, even though I was a boy, to serve the gods. And so, without fail, a gift that keeps on giving to the lives of people that are touched through the generosity of Father Michael and all of them by the grace of God.
Well, it is great to see you here this morning. Uh, we've been running a different version of that song for the last couple of weeks, and uh, we got one more version that we'll run uh, 
speak, but it speaks to uh, the need of humanity that that cry for for God to come. And uh, I'm reminded of that this morning. Those last words uh, bring all of our suffering to peace. And I know uh, Patty's here this morning. She just lost a dear family member, uh, which is always hard. Uh, any day, any time period, sometimes it feels like maybe it stings a little more right around the holidays because we treasure those times together. And there are many others around us who have suffered losses and will suffer losses in the days to come. And that's the suffering that we long for God to ease. We've been praying for Marilyn Rabb, and boy, is she a fighter. She is a strong, tough woman, but she's still just been in and out of the intensive care unit and then back to uh, physical rehab on Thursday, I believe it was. They're saying, man, I, you're going to go home tomorrow. Go back to home. And then the next day, she was in the intensive care unit. And then the next day, she was back out. And that roller coaster for those fine folks, those friends of ours, has just been so hard. And you know we still have among us those who are fighting disease, Rhonda, putting up the best fight I've ever seen with my own eyeballs. God bless you, honey. And we are still praying for you and love you. And we know that God has great plans for you. And we still have among us and, and connected to us those who struggle and suffer. And that is the longing of the human heart, whether the human heart even knows what it is they long for. It is for the presence of God to come into the midst of our struggle and our suffering. And maybe not, well, not maybe. I mean, we know from personal experience, it doesn't always just go away. But he can bring us such an incredible measure of peace and courage and strength in the midst of hard, hard times. This opening song talks about the day when Christ ultimately comes and does usher us into the season when there is no more pain, no more grief, no more crying, but only the love, the light, and the glorious presence of the Lord and all of the saints gathered together for all of eternity. And so we're going to sing towards that. We sing of the anticipation of the advent, the birth of Christ, but we also sing of the anticipation of when Christ will gather his church together for all eternity. And so we sing that this morning and we think of those from among us who have already gone to that blessed place and wait for us there. Amen. So we'll ask you to lift your voices with us. The words will be here on the screen behind us. And uh, I'll give the band a count in here and we'll pray that everything goes well. <laughs> Coming on the clouds, kingdoms, kingdoms will bow down. 
to the mask to get on a plane one week from today, and I don't want to be the guy getting on with 104 degree temperature and coughing like I have emphysema. I will. Oh, don't doubt me. I will get on the plane in that condition. I just don't want to. So we are in our third ad, third week of Advent, and uh, before I get to what I have for you, I just uh, I read something earlier this week um, about Advent, and I just wanted to share it with you. Uh, I'm not sure it directly ties into the message, but it it struck me, it moved me. Really, really should have. 
good here to talk amongst yourselves, because this would be weird and awkward otherwise. Uh, there's coffee in the back, hot water for tea, hot chocolate, if you want any of that sort of thing. Seriously, that dude. Oh my goodness, come on, technology is supposed to be faster than this. All right. Uh, this is from a, uh, a writer, theologian named Frederick Buchner, and uh, it's a, just this small devotional piece. Uh, his, his springboard scripture is John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. No, that's the one. Still Frederick Buechner, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In the silence of a midwinter dusk, there is far off in the deeps of it somewhere a sound so faint that for all you can tell, it may be only the sound of silence itself. You hold your breath to listen. You walk up the steps to the front door. The empty windows at either side of it tell you nothing or almost nothing. For a second, you catch a whiff in the air of some fragrance that reminds you of a place you've never been and a time you have no words for. You are aware of the beating of your heart. The extraordinary thing about this, the extraordinary thing that is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. Advent is the name of that moment. If you concentrate just for an instant, far off in the deeps of yourself, somewhere you can feel the beating of your heart. For all its madness and lostness, not to mention your own, you can hear the world itself holding its breath. I don't know, deep, maybe not deep. Um, it caught me in the moment when I read it, and it still catches me now, and I just wanted to share that with you. So it's my little gift to you. This morning, we continue our Advent journey through the book of Luke. Um, Tracy finished up. He, he took the first four verses of Luke chapter 1 last week. And so I, I went, and I'm like, okay, so... So what are you what are you going to jump back in with next week? I don't know if you know. I don't know if you checked lately. The book of the first chapter of Luke is wicked long. I was like, where are you going to jump back in? He's like, I'm going to jump back in with the uh, the birth of John the Baptist in verse 57. That leaves me 53 verses to jump around in. And I'm reading through it, and I'm like, what do I, which one do I preach? Which one do I share? And then I thought, why don't I do all 53? <laughs> Except that like 49 of them are the Magnificat, and I'm sure there's a moment in life when the Magnificat, the, the glorious song of Mary, really hits. I haven't reached that point in my life yet, so I skipped Mary. Uh, so I want to talk to you about, uh, there was something in 
the prediction, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist that really caught me. It caught me particularly because it, it hit on a point I was already thinking about. And so these two things, like the preparation was there and they came together. And so this is what I want to share with you. So starting, if you have your Bible or an app or, you know, if you've committed the entire scripture to memory, good on you. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, this he is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, <clears throat> he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I'm, I'm moving on. Uh, sometimes you read the Bible and you just, something you've never seen before hits you and it's like, huh, I didn't expect it to be that moment. Um, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So it appears uh, Zechariah, he was a priest, not the high priest, he was a priest. He was in uh, the temple, and his job on this particular day, because, you know, they had drawn straws, and the job fell to him, was to go into the incense burner and kind of stoke it up. Uh, if you don't know, uh, the incense burner was like this giant table, like covered in coals, and they would just put incense on it, and it created not just this um, wonderful scent, this otherworldly kind of glorious aroma throughout the temple, but it also created this kind of smoke and haze. The intention being, you never want, you, you know, this is God's house. You never know when God's going to be there. And you don't want to kind of run face, you know, face to face with God because you'll die. So they're like, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll fill up the whole house with smoke so that if we see him, we won't see him see him. We'll see him like, oh, snap, it's God. Not, oh, snap, I'm dead. So he's in there. He's putting incense on the incense burner. He's creating this smoke, this haze, and he's offering up prayers and the impression we get is that in the midst of offering up the prayers for the people of Israel, he's also offering up his own personal prayer. Uh, because once again, he is in a position, like we've seen several times throughout the Old Testament, where he and his wife are getting on an age, and they are childless. And, and just more than anything, he wants for them to have a child. And so he's, he's offering up prayers to God on behalf of um, of Israel, but he's offering up his own, his own prayer as well. And so there's the angel, and the angel says, your prayer has been heard. Huzzah! I cry. Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. 
And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is the task which has been laid upon John the Baptist before the day of his birth. His whole purpose his whole purpose established before he was born. You understand? You, in God's view, you have a purpose that was established for you before you were born. There is a, you, you know, you don't just come and enter into God's kingdom. You come and enter into your place in God's kingdom. And the, the particular assignment, the particular role, the particular purpose assigned to John the Baptist was that he was to prepare a people for the Lord. Why? Why does he need to prepare anything? He is, he is coming before Jesus. He is a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He is the one, he says to people, he's like, I'm not the dude. The dude's coming. He's like, he's like, right there. I'm not him. And he is so awesome, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. Then what do we need you for? You can't save anybody. You don't even really know the gospel message that Jesus is bringing. So what do we need John the Baptist for? Because he is preparing a people. You see, all that God does, all that God wants to do, he can do on his own. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But because he is a good, good father, he has chosen to allow us to enter into the work he wants to do and to enter into it with him, to be part of all that he wants to do. And we do it badly. And sometimes we don't do it at all. And even when we do it really good, sometimes it's, it's janky. And he loves that because we're doing it together. And so even though Jesus is coming, Jesus needs a prepared people a people prepared for his arrival. He needs some infrastructure in place before he gets here and can start doing his thing. Jesus has 12 guys, right? The 12? You're like, tell me we're all on the same page with that one. You know he had 12 buddies, right? Please, just say yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You know, not to be sarcastic, but I mean, in this day and age... Biblical literacy is not what it once was. And you cannot necessarily assume, just because I know something in here, we're all there. So Jesus has his 12. Jesus doesn't start out with the 12 on his own. 
James was actually a disciple of John the Baptist first. As was Andrew. I think it was James and Andrew. And one day Jesus is walking around and John the Baptist is like, stop following me, go follow that guy, he's the one. And then they both go, they both go and get their brothers and they bring their brothers in. You see, infrastructure was already being established. John was already preparing the way for Jesus' coming. He was preparing disciples who he would then kind of have kind of trained up. You know, they'd be through basic training, and then he could turn them over to Jesus for their specialized training. John was already out there sharing a word. He was like, you need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus will be that kingdom of heaven that is at hand, but John is preparing the way so that Jesus doesn't have to start from zero. Jesus only got three years, and he's dealing with human beings. He needs all the prep work he can get. And so John's purpose is to come before the Lord and prepare people for the work of the Lord. We, we are to be a prepared people. You see, we've, we've lost our willingness to prepare. We don't get ready for anything. I mean, trust me, I'm the dude that got to be somewhere in 20 minutes and I'm leaving my house in 15 I know what it means to not be prepared. There's lots of things you can wing. Life in the kingdom of heaven is not one of them. Jesus wants a prepared people. Uh, I sent you verses. I'm actually flipping through them. So, want uh, take a look at if you're still following along in the scripture, Titus chapter three verse one. This is Paul writing to Titus. Titus and Timothy were two of his, uh, um, not really assistants, they, they were, they were kind of junior pastors. He had, he had brought them in. He was like a father in the spirit to them, a father in the faith, and he raised them up, and they would become two of the initial crop of, of pastors that Paul was preparing. As he's going around, he's, he's establishing churches, and he's leaving behind pastors in his wake to kind of run them, and Titus was one of them. And periodically, he writes some letters going, giving them a little instruction, giving them a little encouragement. And he writes to Titus, remind them, the people of the church, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. We are to be ready for every good work. There will be good work God wants done in his name. We are to do that good work. God does not send email. There will not be an email in your inbox first thing in the morning outlining the good works God has for you to do. So you need to be prepared. You need to be ready at the drop of a hat to do the good work of the Lord. 
Jesus goes on about this, and there's something, uh, I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 46. Therefore, and these are red words, so this is Jesus talking. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper times? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. See, traditionally we look at that, and there's a few other um, parables and stories and instructions Jesus gives that are very much in line with this. You don't know when the master is coming, so you must be ready at all times. And as we have a tendency to do, we take what Jesus said and we make a complete soup sandwich out of it. We just misinterpret it into a fundamental pile of garbage. Because, see, what we just read right there, we typically interpret, well, you don't know when Jesus is coming back. And on that day, will your soul be prepared or will you depart into the everlasting fire of hell? It's not what it says. Jesus is talking to the servants of the master. These are not people who don't know the master and are afraid that when the master comes, they will be kept outside. Jesus is speaking to people who are already in the master's house and they are already servants of the master and they don't know when the master is going to show up. So they need to be doing what the master has given them to do. You, as a servant of the Lord, have tasks that have been assigned to you. There is good work that has been assigned to you, and you need to be doing it as a regular matter of course. Okay. Sure, none of the young people are going to understand this, but all of us are of a certain age. We, we fall into that Gen X, Gen X adjacent. We were the latchkey kids, right? That means you can't... Kids, here's what that means. We got off the bus. We came home. We had our own house key to let ourselves in because wasn't nobody home. Dad was at work. Mom was at work. So you got off the bus. You let yourself in. Snacks were permitted. TV didn't go on till the homework was done. You came home, you did your chores, you did your homework, then there could be TV. Kids, here's what happened. You come in. You assault the sibling for no apparent reason whatsoever because they're assuming you're the older. You're the older, they're the younger, they need assaulting for no good reason. Then you turn on the TV. 
This is back in the day before, like, cable. And you had, like, three channels, and there was probably going to be one that was playing after-school cartoons. So score. Turn on TV. Didn't do the chores. Didn't do the homework. Till you hear the car hit the driveway. Oh, snap. TV goes off. Nothing you could do about the fact. See, back in the day, the back of the TV would get really hot. Parent comes in, lay their hand on the back of the TV, you're over. There's no way to hide from that. But apart from that, turn off the TV, jump up, try to do, say, 90 minutes of chores in 45 seconds. And then run to somewhere and sit down and open a book and grab a pencil and pray. That is not how we're supposed to be in the course of being prepared for our good works in God's kingdom. God has given us good works, and sometimes we have the regular course of good works, and then there's like the extra special. There's like, oh, there's an additional thing coming for you today. And the expectation is we are going to be prepared at any given moment for any good work the Lord sets before us. But see, when that opportunity comes, when that assignment comes, when God reaches down and says, I have a special job for you, that is not the moment to get ready. You need to have been prepared ahead of time. I need me volunteer. Oliver, you would make a wonderful volunteer. Thank you. You ready? Can you mark? Get set, go. All right. So clearly, something happened here. I... I wanted Oliver to catch the ball. Oliver wanted Oliver to catch the ball. Oliver was not prepared to catch the ball. In all fairness, he was not prepared because I did not want him to be prepared because if he had been prepared, that totally would have blown the illustration. Okay, then that's even better. All right, now, this time, same thing, only go to that door. Uh, Frank, can I get a little more light? And go. And right there. Man, I don't know what I want more, to put it right in your hands or right in Brian's head. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So, I wanted Oliver to catch the ball. Oliver wanted Oliver to catch the ball. That's it, buddy, thank you. You've been a wonderful assistant. I wanted Oliver to catch the ball. Oliver wanted Oliver to catch the ball. Oliver was in the right place at the right time waiting to catch the ball. 
Oliver was prepared for the job that I had for him. And it didn't work out exactly right, and that's okay. Oliver was prepared. Oliver was faithful to the task that had laid before him. Too often, we get up, maybe not even too often, maybe always. We get up, we jump out of bed, we go on our way. We want to catch the ball God's going to throw our way. We want to be blessed. We want to see God move in our lives. We want to see God's, God's power manifested in our lives. If nothing else, we want to be blessed by God. God bless me today. Man, it's a little selfish, but you know, start at home, I guess. God bless me. And God goes, you know what? Today, I would like to bless you. God wants to bless you. You want God to bless you. You are not prepared for the blessing God is trying to send down. And then should that blessing that God wants to bestow involve somebody other than you, you now are not only not prepared to bless God and to receive that blessing, you're not prepared to act it out, to disperse it, to be a conduit of that blessing because you're not prepared. So what I want to encourage you this morning is I want to encourage you to start living a life of preparation. If you are a servant of the Lord, if you are a servant of the Master, you need to be about His good works every day, all the time, fully prepared because you never know when He's going to come and say, I have something special for you to do today. And if you are not prepared, not only will you not be able to do it, you won't even receive the message. You won't hear the voice that says, go and do it. So I want to give you three, three very simple, easy steps on how to be prepared. First thing, it's early in the morning. The alarm clock goes off. If you're lucky, there's a certain sickness that lies in the human brain that, you know, knows the alarm's going off at 7, and yet the brain is like, hey, it's 4.48, let's wake up and be ready to go. I feel you. But let's say you're laying there. Alarm goes off at 7 o'clock, you fill in whatever time your alarm goes off. Generally, we hit off button, because we're not those people that lay in and hit the snooze nine times in a row. Or, you know, you do you, boo. Whenever that moment comes, you're like, okay, I have finished laying in bed. I'm going to jump out of bed. I'm going to run to the kitchen. I'm going to start the coffee. I'm going to let the dog out. I'm going to run to the bathroom. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to get dressed, grab the coffee, out the door. All too often, that is pretty typical of far too many of us, some variation of that. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. One, set the alarm 10 minutes early. Two, when the alarm goes off, turn it off. And three, the first thing you do is you don't even have to turn on the light. Lay there in the dark, in your mind, and give thanks. Give thanks to God. God just woke you up. 
I mean, you know, God could have let you just not. There will be people somewhere in the world today that will lay their head down tonight. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, that's going to be somebody. If that alarm went off and you woke up, that wasn't you. Be thankful. Dear God, thank you for giving me another day of life on earth. Even if it's a terrible day, probably it's still better than being dead. Be thankful. And then go beyond that. Think about the fact that you're waking up in a bed with a roof over your head and hopefully some heat in the house. Knowing down the hall there's a kitchen where there's food. Knowing there's at least two rooms in your home you can step into at any given time, any time in 24 hours of the day, and you can turn a little dial and water clean and pure comes pouring. And do you realize just running water alone, clean running water, would resolve issues in so many third world countries? Just to have flowing water. You get that. You're alive, you're awake, and you've got water. You got heat, you got a bed, you got a roof. You have coffee. I know there's some of you that, you know, don't don't do the coffee thing. I pray for you regularly. I, it's, it's one of God's greatest blessings, and you've chosen to deny yourself. I don't understand what's wrong with you, but, you know, John the Baptist couldn't get a haircut, couldn't drink wine. Maybe you got a special deal with God going on. I don't know. Drink coffee. Give thanks. Be thankful. It's hard to start off a terrible day when you take the time to remind yourself to all the goodness that you have in your life and to then take that next step and remind yourself that every good and perfect gift in your life is in some way, shape, or form a blessing directly from God. Two, you're already laying there, you're already awake, you're already praying. Pray for your day. Say, okay, God, here's what I got lying before me. I got this meeting with such and such. I got lunch with so and so. I got this particular task I'm working on. I want to pray for all these things. Uh, a particular note, personally, as, uh, as we've been doing this school thing, uh, I have personally, in my mind, uh, accepted that I am doing this school thing because it's something God led me to. God wants me to do this. Therefore, in doing this, every single thing I do is a service in view of God's greater plan. It's like, God, you wanted me to do this, so every assignment I do, every paper I write, every test I take is an offering to you. I don't, I don't care what, what man says, you know, this effort was worth. I care that in your eyes I have presented something that's worthy. So please, Father, help me in this task. Whatever task lies before you, maybe whatever it was that kept you up, you know, the wheels spinning the night before, don't let that get hold of you. You get hold of that. You say, Father, this is what's worrying me in my day-to-day. Let me give it to you. Let me pray about this. Let me place it in your hands because it's driving me crazy and I don't know what to do with it. Start your day with thanks. Start your day with prayer that 
God will bring himself into your situation and God will prepare the way. And then three, uh-oh. Three, pray for his plans for your day. See, too often we get about ourselves. We have not only prepared, we have not prepared, we have not even left open the room. We have not left the space for God to move in our lives. We get so so focused on the to-do list that we leave no room. We leave no leeway for God to go, excuse me, I've got, I've got one little thing I'd like to work in there if we could. You go ahead and you pray for your day and you take your responsibilities seriously. You be about them. You be a good worker on behalf of God. Your work, the work you do, is a testimony to God. You bring glory and honor to the name of Christ when you are a good employee. So bring God into what you're doing, but leave yourself available to what he's doing. I can't count the number of times in my life where something that easily could have been disregarded as an interruption was actually God stepping into the middle of my day going, no, 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 no. This thing here, this thing you're about to totally disregard, this is more important. This, this phone call you don't want to return, this is, this is a person. This is a person I need you to speak with today. This inconvenience, this task, this chore that somebody dumped out, I need you to go do this because I need you to go be at this place where you'll interact with this person. Be willing to pray, God, help me with my things, but make me open to your things. That's it, right there. Three easy little steps. Ten minutes before your day starts, but you start your day then prepared. That is not necessarily going to make your day go great. Oliver wanted the football. I wanted Oliver to have the football. Oliver didn't take the football. Sometimes the best laid plans of mice and men and God, right? But at least you're prepared. At least you're in the right place. At least you're willing. Those three little steps in ten minutes before you left your bed have prepared you to be a servant of the Lord doing the work he has set for you to do. And once you are prepared to do what God would have you to do, everything else in your day sort of just seems to take care of itself. So that's what I want to encourage you. It's what I want you to start making a regular part of your life. Give thanks, pray for your day, pray for his day. And you will be a people prepared. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your good works. Thank you for your presence. I pray, Father, that you would, in all ways, in all days, guide us to you, guide us to your cause, guide us to your presence, guide us to the people you would have us interact with and those tasks you would have us to do. Help us to put one foot in front of the other down the path you have laid before us, and though sometimes we may stumble, Sometimes we may veer a little bit to the left or to the right, Father. 
Help us to stay focused on you, to be prepared to what you've called us to do, and to live ever in your presence as a people prepared. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
church next week, remind people about uh, Christmas Eve, and uh, be safe out there today and tonight. Could get a little spring. It hasn't started snowing yet, but I think it's coming, so be safe. All right, I love you, friends.